1: Athletic.
2: Hello, and welcome to Pod on the Tine, your go to Newcastle United podcast from The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show. football returns at Fulham but to get a valuable three points on the road Newcastle will need to stop the Mitro at Craven Cottage Riddle me this botman. man Can Sven and Dan play together? And we prove that Chris and George are questionable journalists uh, with some questions from subscribers Yes, hello, this is Pod on the Time, your go-to Newcastle United podcast from The Athletic. I'm Taylor Payne, and it's a hearty hello once again to our Newcastle correspondent Chris Watt and senior writer George Colton. How the devil are we, chaps? Chris, you alright? How's your week been? Anything exciting happened to you? Uh, yes, I've got
0: a bit of a hoarse voice. I was uh, in the Stagdew capital of the world over the weekend. Mmm, which is? Mm, Amsterdam. Krakow. Similar, it's it's twinned, twinned, twinned with both uh, Prague,
2: Prague, no, Las Vegas, Burton, Burton on Trent, <laughs>
1: Burton on Trent, of course, yes, Burton
2: on Trent, good, yeah,
1: one of the four great, one of the four great Stag do capitals of the world. You're right, Synonymous Vegas.
2: with Stag do's, isn't it? Prague,
1: yeah. Amsterdam, and Burton, yeah. yeah.
2: What happens in Burton stays in Burton,
1: yeah. On the subject of Botman, Chris, you um, I've you did not admit this to me. But I've subsequently seen pictorial evidence that on one of your nights out in 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 Burton, you um, you were all dressed up as a oh, certain oh, superhero. Oh. <laughs> it um, it does look like you slightly misread the memo because having having seen your having seen your, your picture, you turned up as the crap crusader. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> well, the crap crapped crusader. Well, I couldn't <laughs> see what I've done there.
0: Yes, I, I do. Hilarious, but uh, I I couldn't I <laughs> as as you well know I couldn't I couldn't do anything else being the very boring man that I am. It was uh, it was a stretch too far from anywhere. But actually, the bizarre thing was that uh, I mean the, I had a little fear that when we were going to go into Burton, that you know sometimes when you go around stag Do's, groups of fi- there was seventeen of us dressed up that would try to go into a bar and that basically would get turned away. And actually. It turned out that we were basically the best thing that has ever happened to Burton, or certainly in twenty twenty (laughs) two. And Seventeen of you
2: not saying much for Burton. Rather than be 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 turned
0: away from places, we actually they were actually requesting that we get photos taken to be put onto their social media channels so that they could show that people, somebody has actually Jesus gone to Burton Christ. out of choice on their stag do. It was like the biggest thing ever. So it was, yes, it that was. That uh, is
1: the single, single biggest economic incredible. injection to hit Burton since records began. <laughs> wow. Wow. Not that you care about what I've been doing, Taylor, but I am slightly I do, worried. I do, though. I really but do. The slightly worried that just on the laws of succession, I'm next in line to be playing up front for Newcastle United.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's not many left, is there? I'm a bit worried Dig about, the about that. so at the cupboard. No, I'm a bit worried. Anyway, how are you? I'm all right. I uh, I did a, <laughs> a gig on Saturday, and a chap came up and asked me if I was Taylor Payne from uh, Pod on the Tyne, and I said yes, and he said, "Where's George and Chris?" As if we travel around together doing gigs around the northeast. <laughs> was he in Burton? Mm. Didn't seem. Well, to I mean, gr- t- he wasn't in Burton. He did, didn't seem to grasp the concept that when I go out to work, you are not always with me. So, well, but there know.
1: is, there is, there is. A, we do have a slight sort of Morecambe and Wise esque theme in the sense that we are all recording this in the same bed at the moment. I mean, wearing oh, pajamas, yeah. obviously, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but. I mean, that is not how we roll.
2: Sell any ice creams going that fast? Does he? No, no he's man, not. Exactly. No. It's been a good weekend, though. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a bit of a, a dull week, let's say, without the Premier League. International football, Chris, not your favourite thing in the world, is it? Not when I've got the chance to go to Burton for a stag, do. Definitely not, no. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely stuff. Have we been enjoying the international break, George? Have you seen any football at all? No, not in the slightest. I, excellent. I
1: didn't mind this so much because we knew it was coming. So the international break always comes along, so you can kind of mentally prepare for it. Obviously, the weekend before or the w- weekend before that, we'd uh, there was no football, and that f- I felt a bit bereft. That that um, that first weekend after the after the Queen Queen died, it was like as if fo- you know football had been taken away from us. And I was expecting this, so I kind of quite enjoyed. I didn't I didn't mind it. Having said that. It does feel like quite a long time since Bournemouth now, does it? And it would be nice to put that, be nice to put that kind of performance to to bed.
2: It would, absolutely. Right then chaps, we'll crack on in just a moment, but don't forget you can subscribe to The Athletic at the special price of just one pound a month for the first six months to claim that offer go to theathletic.com forward slash newcastlepod and get access to all of our great writing as well as ad-free versions of the athletics podcasts that's theathletic.com forward slash newcastlepod sign up now come
0: on you maggies
2: Right, chaps, uh, we've got some football to talk about, or to think about at least. It is coming over the horizon. Fulham is the next game. And, Chris, there's injuries all over the place, isn't there? Well, let's get, let's have a bit of an update. Isaac, Callum Wilson, Alan Samaxman, Bruno, Chris Wood as well. They just seem to be dropping like flies at the minute, the lads. Yeah, you probably better list the players who are fit and available, really. There's uh, the chances of...
0: Yes, I mean, we're still obviously waiting for an actual official update from Eddie Howe on on all these players. Although, if it's anything like his usual injury updates, then (laughs) he'll tell us to wait for the team news on Saturday Saturday at 2 o'clock. And his press comes on Friday. But yeah, it's been a bruising sort of 10 days for Newcastle United on the injury front. Uh, First, we heard that uh, Alexander Isak... He was training alone with Sweden last week and then he pulled out of the Sweden squad with an as of yet unspecified injury. I've tried to do a bit of digging on it and um, spoke to a few people in Sweden and they didn't even seem quite sure on what it is. It's sounding like he's not going to be around for this weekend and maybe a little while afterwards uh, on the Newcastle front. But that that isn't official information yet, but obviously that is a blow of its own accord that Newcastle's record signing is probably going to be a miss this weekend. Then... We heard that uh, Bruno had also been left out of training with Brazil and thought was going to miss the first match and then turned out he was going to miss the second. And so he's returned to Townside with a thigh injury, which is going to be assessed. That doesn't seem like it's serious. And I think there is a chance that he features again this weekend, but that's another muscle injury for him in the space of a few weeks. And then Chris Wood, playing for New Zealand, was forced off in about the 35th minute with a rib injury. So yes, Newcastle players are... Fallen like flies at the minute, unfortunately. Thankfully, Sven Botman didn't go on international duty with the Netherlands uh, under-21s, opted against it, and so he is still here, so he isn't going to be injured on that front. But the the positive news is Callum Wilson should be back this weekend. Alan saint has an outside chance, but may well not be risked. But yeah, basically, Newcastle's injury situation, rather than the ease of the international break, has actually worsened in many ways.
2: Yeah, George, Newcastle are going to need some of those big names back if they're going to get one over on Fulham. Fulham seem to be upsetting the odds. The sixth in the table, unbeaten at home, Mitrovic is banging the goals in. It's maybe not the sort of comfortable fixture that people had thought of when they looked at the fixture list.
1: That is right, Taylor. No, I mean, they've been one of the surprise packages, I think, you'd of the, of the season so far. They start the season off with that very credible draw with at home to Liverpool. And yeah, unbeaten at home. They've had good victories over Brentford and Brighton. Um, so fair play to them. I don't think many of us saw that coming, but uh, but they've been good. And so yeah, it and you know it feels like a big game for Newcastle. This I think. Um, and of course, yeah, Mitrovic Mitrovic banging the goals in. That's an alarming sign. So yeah, not a, not an easy one.
2: Definitely not. I mean, we you mentioned Mitrovic there. Chris six goals in seven games. So follow him. He was prolific in the championship. Um, I mean, he was like he was like having a big soppy Labrador playing up front for for Newcastle. He would run around like he'd just been let out of the car after a three hour journey, banging into people and bumping his head on things. But he's he's changed a little bit, hasn't he? he? Seems to have matured. He certainly knows where the goal is. It's set up for him, isn't it?
0: Yeah, that team is is built around him, and he, he's thriving in it. Last season, obviously, he broke all sort of. Championship records on on, on the way of coming up, and then this season he, he he started in red hot form for 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 Fulham. Obviously he's on on fire as as, as the song goes, and um he's he, what's interesting is when you watch him as well. I've I've watched a few Fulham's games, and he does seem to have brought quite a lot of all around play to as well It's not just that he's scoring, he's involved in basically everything that that Fulham do. Um, and he has matured. He is someone who can be relied upon for them. And I'm sure he's relishing the prospect of coming up against Newcastle and will want to score against him. And that is, that is a worry. He did, I think, have pick up a bit of a knock on it national duty as well. So maybe that works in Newcastle's favour. And neither club has their star striker available. Well, I suppose if Callum Wilson's available, two strikers anyway, a piece out. But... Yeah, it's, it is It is a concern because um, I think Newcastle's centre-backs will be in for a very tough afternoon.
1: He's also just scored a hat-trick for, for Serbia as well against Sweden. I mean, there's always been that. There have been kind of a couple of things about him, haven't there? You know, is he cut out for the Premier League? That was one of the questions about him, that, you know, sensational at cha- championship level, very, very difficult to play against, but could he do it in the Premier League? And it was mixed, you know, it was kind of mixed signals really didn't do it the last time Fulham were up but he's been absolutely pivotal to them as Chris said sort of built around him and his goal record so far this season has been sensational for club and country and also the other thing has been whether he had the intelligence whether he had the discipline the temperament to play was the thing and, wasn't it yeah and the temperament and if you if you could get that right then you've got one of those players who is incredibly difficult to play against but we're also seeing a bit more of a resurgence of the number nine the number nine figure um you know whether it's Harland at Man City um you know it's kind of good to see that number nine playing a part again because um for a, for a long time it felt like that number had been lost a bit
2: it did and I mean the number nine thing and also former Newcastle players brings us neatly on Ivan Tony, Chris and players that Newcastle have let go um he's Got into the England squad. Uh, he's been really good this season. And I mean, I read an interview with him this uh, this week where he, he mentioned himself that maybe if he was in charge of Newcastle at the time, he wouldn't have kept himself on. Uh, he seems to be another one who's matured and he's really came a long way, hasn't
0: he? Yeah, he has. And it, uh, it's just been interesting, the sort of narrative around Tony over the last 10 days because of the fact that he, he, he's, he's got into the England squad and deservedly so on his phone for Brentford over the last sort of two years or so. But the the sort of the talk of well Newcastle let him go, how how did they let him go at that stage? And there is a heck of a lot that could be criticized for for the throughout the Meg Ashley era. And perhaps you could argue, well, not bringing on Tony of its own accord was one of them. But equally, when they let him go, there wasn't many people in and around the club or even in and around football who didn't think it was it was right for him to move on. He wasn't developing as he should have done Newcastle. Whenever he came back, he played for the under twenty threes, looked far too good for the under twenty threes, but went on a few loan spells where he didn't exactly uh, set the world, and I remember going to Barnsley, and he was very average. And it was he came back, and it, and it was basically that the team knew he hadn't performed there either. So at that stage, it's not like he left Newcastle and then six months later, as in the England squad, it's taken him a few years. And he's fought hard and he's got there. Newcastle identified that talent to begin with, but then didn't develop of their own accord. And how was asked about it before Newcastle's last game and he said he'd like to think now that, that that wouldn't be the same such sort of situation where Newcastle would let someone go but at that point he needed to go to develop and he, and he has moved on but hopefully going forward the young players who A Newcastle are signing or B already have like Elliot Anderson who they're bringing through hopefully that pathway is there at Newcastle hopefully they find the right loans to bring them on and then they can get into the first team.
2: It's interesting though, isn't it? Because, you know, football's littered with those those players who maybe didn't quite cut it at, a, at an early age. And then as they get a bit older, they get a bit more mature, a wiser head on their shoulders. I'm thinking of people like Jamie Vardy. And of course, if you go back a bit further, Ian Wright and players like that, where suddenly they come into their own. And one of the things I thought was so impressive about Ivan Toney was just physically how much he's... Grown in the time since he left Newcastle, I remember watching him uh, in a in a uh, league cup game for Newcastle, and he was scrawny and he looked like he had nothing on his bones. And now you look at him and you think, my God, the man's an athlete. He's an absolute unit. So I think that's what players need to have that now to compete in the Premier League and to be able to bully those defenders around and stuff like that. He's really earned that place in the England squad. He's he's been scoring goals all over.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the point the point to kind of make is that you look at teams, you look at teams like. Uh, Chelsea, I mean they're the prime example of who've had this astonishingly good academy, but certainly before Frank Lampard took took the job at Chelsea and when they had that transfer embargo which forced them to use their own young players, that pathway to the first team wasn't there. so they were they were kind of producing all these great players who were then having to be sold or go on loan famously, having players all out the play. now Newcastle haven't been like that. So the irritation with Tony is that, they would have been crying out for a player like the Tony now. Um, But as Chris said, you know, the important thing is that hopefully with the structure that's now at the club, from the academy and under-21s through Dan Ashworth in charge of the whole football scene to the manager, you would have that scenario where players won't get jettisoned like that and there might be a pathway. But that doesn't mean that, that a player like Tony wouldn't have had to Leave because, as yeah, as Chris said, he didn't leave Newcastle to go to another Premier League side. He had to he had to drop down in order to come back up, and sometimes that just happens.
2: Well, just to drag it, uh, kicking and screaming, back onto Fulham, uh, lads. Um, is this a big game for Newcastle, Chris? Because when you look at this in the fixture list in isolation, you probably look at it and think, nah, Fulham. It's not a massive. Game, but Newcastle still only one win uh, in the league this season, and a few dissenting voices and boos against Bournemouth. It they need something, don't they?
0: They do. They do. They need a, a win at some stage soon because you look at the next three fixtures. So, so they go to Fulham, then they host Brentford, and, and then they go to Man United. So, really, they've got a they've got a few weeks of of games there where it's gonna be it's gonna be tricky if they if they if they don't win this one, because there'll be a lot of pressure on winning that Brentford for game at home and i i just think that that it just to ease a little bit of tension just to basically back up the positives that we did see in the first six games before the draw against bournemouth which felt in many ways like a defeat and some of the players afterwards said it felt like a defeat because they hadn't won it And i, I just think yeah just just to, to to calm that noise a little bit and really just just to give everyone that 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 added belief because it's the same it, it it's the same this is basically the longest run that Newcastle've been on since Eddie Howe took charge, without winning a game, which which seems extraordinary in many ways, given the position they were in at the time, but that is the that is that the, they are now in the territory of of, of moving beyond uh, what they've actually done under Howe, and given the given the players they brought in the summer, given the change of style, I just think that could do with the win. But this this is not a it's not an easy game by any stretch, as we've already said. We're going to Fulham, and and the their the start they've already had, and the injuries Newcastle have. Hopefully, though, being away from home might suit Newcastle a little bit more. We know they've been dominating possession at home, and they haven't been able to break down either the last two teams successfully enough in terms of scoring goals. Hopefully, they can do that uh, way at Fulham. Hopefully, they're given a bit, a little bit more of the pitch. And if Callum Wilson comes back, he manages to
2: to, to score the goals. And Newcastle haven't been able to do in recent weeks. Well, George, it's not crisis stations just yet, is it? We're not panicking about this. It's you know, it's on. It's only one win, but it's only one defeat as well. Newcastle are still picking up points. Uh, and it's not the end of the world.
1: No, categorically not. I mean, there's nothing wrong with 10th in the table at this point. I mean, there's nothing wrong with losing only once. Uh, there's nothing wrong with being unbeaten at home. I mean, all those things. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with being hard to beat, which Newcastle very much are. I think, though, you can actually look at Fulham's league position and think, you know, perhaps Newcastle could be there. If Fulham can be If Fulham could be six having beaten Forest and Brighton and Brentford then you know Newcastle with the run that they've had of of uh of matches could could and should arguably should be looking at that I think the frustration is that they've actually had a bit of an opportunity and haven't quite been able to take it and there is plenty of mitigation for that, from you know, from injuries to a couple of dodgy decisions, to you know, and again to to playing in this very different style that we're beginning to see this season. Um, so I think, and you know, they really shouldn't have been booed against Bournemouth. I mean, I don't I don't like no, that. I mean, I, d- I don't. agree with that. But it's it is positive. But I agree. I think there is a I think there's a kind of pr- pressure on, you know, it is to make it this positive start, and let's not get back to that position where you know we're starting to kind of dread the weekends again um it is positive um very much so but yeah i think it's time for a win to back that up
2: absolutely right then chaps lovely stuff uh we'll be back in just a sec we'll have a little chat about squad depth and various other things see you tomorrow
4: Right,
2: then one of the things that uh, could potentially be uh, blamed for Newcastle's lack of wins this season, even though we've got five players coming off the bench potentially in every game, is a bit of that squad depth, Chris. It's uh, it's an issue which has plagued Newcastle recently. The bench hasn't looked particularly strong in any of those games. And is this the thing that's missing from Eddie Howe's master plan?
0: It is, but I will caveat this before I even get into that by saying that Newcastle are still less than a year into into to this project. There were only two Absolutely. transfer windows into the project, one of which was dominated by trying to stay in the Premier League rather than necessarily push on. So addressing all of these problems at once, it was going to take time. They're not suddenly going to have a squad that can really compete in the top six, top eight of the Premier League across two transfer windows. But yeah, that, that is part of the issue, particularly when they have one or two injuries. You, you just look at Liverpool, who had th- two or three injuries in midfield, and suddenly they're looking light in that department. Even they can can be affected when you have two or three key players. Newcastle have been missing their very best players over the course of the last few weeks, and yet they've still been very competitive in matches. They just haven't had that final bit of quality, that killer touch that they've needed. Um, and that is, that is the missing bit. Even Elliot Anderson seemed like a big loss to not be able to come on against uh, Bournemouth last week because he was out injured and suddenly you looked at the bench and it did look weak. And in theory, as you say, you can bring on five players, but Newcastle haven't been doing that very often because they haven't really got many game changers who you'd think to bring on off the bench. Even Chris Wood was only introduced, they needed a goal and they introduced a striker in the, the 88th, 89th minute. I can't remember exactly what it was, but... That is, it does, you do look at the bench and think, I'm not sure who's going to come on and change the game here in a positive sense. And that's where Newcastle have been finishing games for the most part, I think, looking weaker than when they started them.
2: And especially in games as well, where you're being asked to break down an opponent. We don't really have those players, do we, who can do that? I mean, you know, you bring on Jake Murphy, or you bring on Ryan Fraser, and great, they're, they're fantastic running in behind. And I think we talked about this last week briefly, but they're not the type of players who are going to go past three or four... Uh, defenders and create an opportunity out of thin air. The George, it's 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 those players that you need that can unpick that lock.
1: No, it's interesting. Chris, Chris and I did a did a mailbag for Athletic subscribers last week. We're going to come on and answer a few few of our kind of leftover questions um, towards the end of this show. But one of the questions, which I kind of thought was ju- it was just an interesting concept for a question, was that was Newcastle's um, inability to strengthen their bench, the biggest failure of the summer. Now, I thought that was an interesting way of looking at the question because, you know, Newcastle weren't trying to strengthen their bench. They were trying to strengthen their team and strengthen the squad. And if you look at the seven signings they've made since the takeover, you would argue that all of them have strengthened the team and all of them will probably play on a match day. Possibly not Chris Wood anymore, but he, you know, played a very, very valuable part last season, your squad gets stronger once your team gets stronger because the people that, that those players displace, theoretically, then drop down onto the bench. And so I suppose if you're suddenly adding St Maxima, Shelby and Wilson back into your starting lineup, then look at the players who might be dropping to the bench. And Almiron coming on when a team is tired for the last 20 minutes is a different prospect to Almiron starting a game where Newcastle have lots of possession and his pace isn't going to get past anybody. Elliot Anderson has been a big miss, you know, being on the bench. He would, again, you know, be someone who... Offers something
2: different, doesn't he? He offers something different.
1: Yeah, so Newcastle, I mean, Newcastle have strengthened their first first team and their squad, but we're, you know, it is proper bare-bones stuff at the minute. And... The players, you know, Fraser coming off the bench, again, is a little bit different to Murphy coming off off the bench, I think. Um, Again, in an ideal world, those players on the bench would be pushed and would be growing with the team and the squad. But ultimately, um, you know, some of them might not be up to it. So, yeah, it does look pretty thin on the ground at the moment, but that will change once players start coming back.
2: Uh, and Chris, we'll, we'll talk about Alexander Isak briefly as well. I mean, obviously, he's he's took a bit of a knock at the minute. He's injured. Um, getting the best out of him is really something that Eddie Howe needs to achieve. And does he see Isak and Wilson playing together? Uh, and if they, if they are playing together, how do they fit? Because he's very rigid with this 4-3-3 at the minute. And is it something that's likely to change? He has been very rigid with the 4-3-3. But
0: part of the idea of bringing in Isak was it was sort of Two pronged. A, that when Callum Wilson was injured, Newcastle would have an alternative option, which obviously Alexander Isak has played as that main striker through the middle in his first three appearances, but also that they could play together. Isak over the last sort of two years has primarily played as a number nine, but he can play a bit further out wide. He can also play as a two up front. So in theory, Newcastle could change formation a little bit if they wanted to. And I think Howe wants a bit more flexibility, Newcastle to be able to, to shift a little bit more. But I also see that if Newcastle, if everyone is fit for Newcastle in an ideal world, I think that Eddie Howe is looking at it. The front three would be on sartre Maximan on the left, Alexander Isak on the right, and Callum Wilson through the middle, and almost that those three could almost be interchangeable in some ways as well. That he wants a sort of fluid front three and that ability to link up together. That that's that's the the theory how that works in practice is something that we have to to wait and see but whereas he was quite definitive early on with with chris wood basically saying that 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 it was sort of a case of wood or wilson when newcastle signed wood in january he hasn't been like that publicly and privately that's sort of my understanding is the way that they looked at it as well that isak had the versatility to be able to both cover for wilson and play alongside
2: him it almost puts me in mind of when Papacicet on Newcastle and you ended up with Demba Barr playing out on the left-hand side and Hatton Ben Arfa cutting in from the right. It was a an interesting sort of change in position for him and obviously Demba Barr seemed to have his nose put out a little bit and didn't score many goals once he moved out wide but it was for the benefit of the team, wasn't it, overall? It's, it's an interesting one, George, isn't it? Callum Wilson is the main goal scorer. He's the number nine. He's the man you'd expect to start up front when he's fit. He's who you want leading the line and if you have Isaac buzzing around in behind him. It could be quite a dangerous combination.
1: I mean, immediately, if you talk about St Maximal Wilson and Isak as a front three, you're talking about a front three who couldn't cause other teams' problems. The The worry or the concern in the Bournemouth game was that, you know, Bournemouth's defenders weren't worked by that front three uh, that they played that day. You know, there was Almiron's pace was completely negated. There was Fraser on the other side. There was Isak in the middle who looked isolated. You've you know the thing I love about Wilson we always talk about this he works his center halves he's a nightmare to play against. he gives them problems. we know what some Maxima can do um you know when he does it consistently he is a he is a proper genuine threat and then Isak offering something different once you've got a team like that and then you know if you have Bruno behind, you've also got another player who can unlock so I think that feels like a very different proposition to me. And I'm, I'd be excited,
2: you know, very excited to see that. Absolutely. One place, Chris, we do have a bit of strength in depth is at centre-half. Um, they have to be the right combination, though, don't they? And we've seen various iterations of that centre-half pairing. Uh, and you've done a piece on Byrne versus Botman and how those two fit into that start in eleven. Uh, what What's the thoughts on that?
0: Well, it's just a, it's a sort of interesting one and in that, obviously, the last match that Eddie Howe opted to play... Dan Byrne ahead uh, of Sven Botman. That that the the season started with with Botman on the bench and Burn as left sided centre back. And really, plans changed because of an injury to Matt Target. So then Dan Byrne moves to left back and in comes Sven Botman earlier than than really was was intended. And he has done very well. Uh, he was in the, the he was in the team for three games in a row. Did did really impressed during each of them. And then the, Newcastle had three games within a week. Botman started the first one, then was uh, Liverpool came out of the team, and actually Jamal Lascelles made his only appearance of the season. And then fo- come the next weekend, it was Byrne who, who who was out of the team. But that was sort of a week of, of rotation. So I asked I asked Eddie Howe after the the Bournemouth game, what, what was it a tactical decision to to take. Uh, Burn uh, to to play Burn instead of Botman and his answer was quite interesting he said we managed their load in the week where we had three games so today was bringing Dan back I just feel his leadership skills and his experience we need that in our team at the moment Sven is going to be an outstanding player and we'll play many many games for this club we love him to bits but Dan just gets the nod at the moment so that's interesting of its own accord The Botman has come in and Almost, I think just about every fan has been very impressed with them. But for how, given the impact Byrne has made since January as his left-sided centre-back at the moment, Byrne is bringing skills, particularly in terms of a vocal nature and, and that sort of leadership on the pitch that, that he wants in his team. And so he is selecting him ahead of the 32 million pound uh, summer signing, someone who they think will have a huge future at Newcastle, and they still don't have any doubts about that. He's just slowly integrating him into the team, and at the moment. Seemingly, Burner slightly ahead of Botman.
1: It's a fascinating position, this, isn't it? I mean, but it's also it's absolutely also what we want. I mean, brilliant. Yes, we definitely want the the owners to go out and spend money on on new players and good players and young players and players who can develop at Newcastle. But we also want the players who are here to respond in the right way. And Dan Burn has done that absolutely one hundred percent. I mean, he is he does not deserve to lose his place in the team I mean if you're if you're doing it on merit he has absolutely risen to the task he has taken a leadership position on and off the pitch and has been uh has been superb I, I mean I don't know what this means for his international future but the fact that Botman stayed behind and chose not to link up with the under 21s is fascinating
2: that's a gamble that mind
1: it's that a, gamble. a gamble it's a gamble but and you know I don't know if there's anything else kind of gone on there behind the scenes but to say he's doing that to concentrate on his club career is fascinating and it in some ways it also puts pressure on the manager because you know he's he's saying here i am i'm going to do what you say i'm going to be part of it but this is what you want you want ferocious competition for places those places should be up for grabs it shouldn't be about favoritism Dan Byrne deserves his place. I think he's been fantastic, but yeah, it's a tough that is a tough one moving forward for Eddie. Definitely,
0: it is. And just to pick up on that, I mean, I've spoken to people sort of in and around Sven Botman's camp, and and the interesting bit is that I don't think they expected what has happened so far from here. They obviously he was AC Milan win from as well, the Serie A champions. They will he he had the chance to go there. Obviously they couldn't actually afford him in the end as well. But he did have essentially a choice between going to Newcastle going there. And he chose to come to Newcastle. And I agree with George Dan Byrne has been, has been fantastic. But if you said to Sven Botman's people in January that you'd sign in the summer and you'd be behind Dan Byrne, who at the time wasn't even guaranteed starter at centre-back for Brighton, uh, if you come to Newcastle, that is the sort of situation, and I think it's taken him by surprise a little bit, and they want to, that's part of the reason, part of the the thinking behind this, staying behind for these two weeks, to show to Eddie Howe, I am learning, this is what I'm trying to do, I want to get into that team, I'm desperate to, and it really is strength and depth, it, it's, it's a very nice problem for Eddie Howe to have, but it also, that there's that argument, can the two of them play together? And you get a lot of people saying, why is it now that you've got to have a left two... Two left, you can't have two left-footed players at centre back. You used to have loads of right-footers playing together at centre back. It's this it, at the moment. At most clubs, they tend to have one or the other, or some managers like that. Eddie Howe certainly likes it. I think longer term, they see Botman as potentially being someone who could play as a right-sided centre back, but he hasn't really up till this stage. He is comfortable with both feet, but actually, you look at it and think. My understanding is Newcastle are going to be looking for right-sided centre back at some stage. With so only the court, they're going to be looking to to bring in a sort of successor to Fabian Share, and then longer term it would probably be Botman and whoever this that's other interesting player is. So that that's the, that's an interesting one there as well. That really that they, they they what Botman was the top choice in January. Then it was Carlos, and they ended up signing Burn, and then they still went back for Botman, and it created this positive problem having already signed Burn that you still went and signed Botman, but actually both of them ideally or left-sided centre-backs.
1: I, I can't remember if, if you said this, Chris, last week, or if maybe if it was you, Taylor, but the, the beautiful thing about Byrne is that he is playing every bit as if he's living his childhood dream, and I love that, and he's doing, he's doing it in a way that you would hope to do it, Um, absolutely, absolutely leading from the front. Um,
2: So, yeah, it's a very interesting one. He has had a giant chuff on since the moment he signed for Newcastle. Basically. It's brilliant to see. Uh, Right then, we'll be back in just a minute. And we're going to empty Chris's bulging sack all over the carpet and pick through the debris. Oh, lovely. Uh, We'll be back just after this. Right then, chaps, you uh, you did a little mailbag for The Athletic this week, and we've decided to pick through the questions and look at some of the ones that we didn't get the chance to answer in the mailbag. Um, Ed E is our first correspondent, and he writes, are we in our first downturn in form since Howe took over, or are we simply unlucky uh, with finishing and VAR? Chris, let's go to you for this one first. What do you reckon?
0: Why would you come to me for VAR? Do you want to create another argument? Nah,
2: I just know how much I know how much you love it. And I know how much how level-headed you are about the whole thing. I'm just expecting a really routine answer from you. And
0: did you say it was Eddie who'd asked the question? Is it just is, is, is this? Eddie. Is is is, 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 is Howe just logged in, has he? And he's, he's asking these specific questions. What we, he wants to know what's going on.
2: He also wants to know what your favourite aha song is as well. <laughs> I don't know if that's a, <laughs> some kind of hint.
1: The problem with asking Chris this one is that there are there are occasions, I mean, rare occasions when you think Chris might just be a normal human being, and then you ask him about something like VAR, and he he is an alien <laughs> in a Batman suit.
2: In a Batman suit.
0: Oh. I mean, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna skip the the v, VAR bit, and in terms of is yeah, this don't is, think about is it. this is this the first downturn in form? No, I, I don't think it is a downturn in form. Newcastle had one match where they didn't play particularly well. I actually think up until then. Certainly, five of the first six games this season in the league, Newcastle played very well in large spells of them. Beyond bar finishing, really, that's where the that's what's been letting them down. That's partly down to injuries, as we've already mentioned, and also just down to profligate finishing. So I don't think I actually think in terms of the the way that Newcastle are playing both visually but also how effective I think it is until maybe they're getting around the box. I think it's almost up there with the most consistent for a lot, for, for a sustained period of a few games. A lot of the matches Newcastle won last season, they, they were they were very, very tight. Remember that Leicester game, 93rd minute or whatever it was, Bruno Guimaraes set scores. Newcastle weren't in that game for so long. Leicester didn't actually play a particularly, they dominated the ball didn't actually play particularly well but Newcastle just weren't in the match they weren't imposing themselves on the opposition they have been it's just that final that final most important part which Newcastle are lacking at the minute and that won't be sustainable if Newcastle don't win games this is why I do think they need to win soon if they don't win games then they're not going to be able to keep playing like that because confidence will drop they will stop believing in, in exactly what they're doing which is why I think they need a win but I don't think it's a. I would. I, I think calling it a downturn in form on the basis of 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 failing to 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 win the the last two matches, really, that they should have won. It was only the second match I thought they played poorly in, though. I don't yeah. I don't think I, I don't think I agree with that.
1: It's it's not an unreasonable question in some ways because Bournemouth felt like a downturn in its own context. Bournemouth was such a disappointment. Now we all know what the circumstances were around the game. It was really flat. You were sort of anticipating this you know, St James's Park being this brilliant, vibrant place that it has been for most of the last year. And it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that at all. It felt like an off day. It felt like an off day for the team, for the crowd, for everybody. And so we came away from it feeling disappointed. And we've not had that feeling for such a long time. Now, I think if that had been a normal St James's Park day, with the crowd up for it, with the team up for it, Newcastle would have won. They'd have had ten. They would have ten points. They'd be seventh in the table or whatever. And I know that's a bit like if my auntie was my uncle, she'd be my she'd be my balls. I've got that wrong, haven't I? If my auntie had balls, she'd be my uncle. I've if got that my mixed auntie
2: up. was my uncle, she'd <laughs> have balls. She,
1: she'd be my balls. I got she'd... that wrong. Anyway, everyone knows what I meant when I said that and so i do I, there is that slight feeling of deflation and slight feeling of irritation after after bournemouth that can be swept away very quickly and yeah i i think they need you know they do need that win just to kind of get back on track and again we have to remember that this is a transitional season in terms of the way the team are playing so we have to we have to forgive them the odd mistake but Three points against Fulham, and things all look
2: rosy. Yes, Robert M has asked, what does Eddie... And I'm presuming he means Eddie Howe and not Ed E, our first correspondent. Because (laughs) if if the mailbag correspondents are talking to each other now, I think we're in trouble. Who knows,
1: though? Who knows? Yeah, who knows? (laughs) It's difficult, difficult to tell.
2: What does Eddie see as the answer to the attacking wars? New signings or getting more out of the existing squad, Chris?
0: I think it's a bit of both. Is the is the sort of sitting on the fence, but also true answer. First, I mean, we know that Eddie Howe wanted a wide forward in the in the summer window who who didn't. Around that that position wasn't filled. And longer term, we as we've already said, they want options to come off the bench, greater quality. But equally, I do think he wants to try and eke more from the squad. He believes there's more to come from a, a, some of these players, and that's what he's he's trying to bring. I mean, Ryan Fraser, for example. He's, in theory, when Ryan Fraser was on top form for Bournemouth, he would score goals and create goals regularly. Newcastle haven't really had that. Even when he was playing well last season, it was there was a couple of games where he provided assists, but it was mainly what he did off the ball. There's still more to come from him on the ball, I think. Alan Maximan was brilliant against Manchester City, but how do how did Newcastle get it so that that he plays like that every week or every other week or at least really contributes something uh, definitive? moments and matches which would really decide the game. I, so I think it's a the 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 short answer is it it's a, it's a combination of the two, but I do think that ideally he would like greater attacking quality over the course of the next few windows as well just to just to, to to really give Newcastle that added impetus in the final third.
1: To repeat what we've already said, I mean they've signed two forwards since the takeover which we didn't expect. I think we'd have probably reversed that. They've signed, you know, five defenders including a keeper. But, you know, the, the the key is to get these players on the pitch. I mean, that's, you know, that is the biggest thing. I mean, you can work with them. You can't work with them if they're on the treatment table. You can work with them if they're on the pitch. Again, I think Newcastle look very different with those injured players back. Yes, all, all um, you know, teams suffer from injury, but, you know, Newcastle are missing three big players plus Elliot Anderson at the moment. And, yeah, he will back himself. He will back himself to make all those players better, but getting them on the pitch is the first bit.
2: Kevin D asks, and I don't know if that's Kevin De Bruyne, I don't think it will be, but he has asked, is it indeed a fact that Joe Linton is the hardest substance known to man? Uh, Yeah, I think it goes, it goes Highland Toffee, Diamonds, (laughs) Joe Linton. That's the order, isn't it?
1: Highland, yeah, you're putting Highland toffee below diamonds. That's that's interesting. I've lost two or three teeth to Highland toffee. That's <laughs> interesting. Uh, I've never tried to bite a diamond. I've never tried to bite Jalinton either, for that matter. So um, I don't think he's dead, George. No, maybe the bite test isn't the way isn't the way forward. Um, <laughs> yeah, we love him. Can't do any. Can't do any wrong, can he? Can't do any wrong. I bloody um, love that
2: bloke, you know. I bloody love him. Yeah. I just I just cannot get my head around what happened with that kid. I just, it's just astonishing, Chris. I'm, I'm sometimes driving in the car, absentmindedly, just driving along. Not absentmindedly, obviously, I'm concentrating on the road. That would be dangerous. Um, <laughs> <but> <laughs> mm. Just absentmindedly staring out the window. Um, and Joel Lintel will come into my head and I think, do you remember what he used to be like? and then you know what he's like now it's just brilliant but even I
1: love it. even that moment after he changed positions last season when he kicked the ball into his own face I still giggle oh, at it random at random at random, fun. at random <laughs> moments but sort of seeing that sort of oh. haplessness in that part of the pitch and he's just he is just a natural where he is he's a, he's a monster he's 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 brilliant and it is an incredibly heartwarming story but it's you know, there might be a touch of luck attached to it in terms of switching positions, but my god he's made the most of it. And that is that is also part of the part of the story. He is he has kept trying, kept trying. Chris wrote a brilliant piece after his first season about what he was about, you know, the extra work he took on to do it. And he deserves he deserves this. It's not undeserved. It's totally and utterly warranted.
0: Still Kieran Clark's greatest legacy. Is uh,
2: is uh, the fact if he can be remembered for only one thing?
0: Well, I mean, his, his teammate, his teammates at Newcastle last season did sort of just to sort of take the mick out of the two of them, basically, basically say that and say that you owe all of your success to Teqiu and Clark and get himself sent off against Norwich, so he could move back Absolutely. into that midfield position. But no, the way that he did, and then the way that Eddie Howe and the coaching staff. Have looked at that position and really helped him and given them the information he needs to to improve and develop into it has been has and he's just yeah he's been absolutely fantastic for the last nine months or however long.
1: He's one of the first names on the team sheet, isn't he? And I suppose fantastic. when you put that in context, you know this is now a club post takeover that spent two hundred million quid plus on transfers, and and he is now he he looks every bit as you know part of the future as as any of the new signings as any, as any of the good young players. And, you know, he was such a misfit. He was such a misfit in terms of, you know, what is it about, you know, what is it about him? Where can he play? How can you, you know, can he play wide? Can he play there? And yeah, it's it's a, it's a wonderful story.
2: We spent months cr- scratching our head, didn't we, going, how is he a £40 million footballer? There's no way he can be. I genuinely believe now he is a £40 million footballer. Yeah. At, at least. Yeah. I think it's a great story. And like you say, there's a film in that somewhere. There's got to be. Right, let's just do this last one before we crack on uh, and wrap up, gents. Um, Jonathan B. Uh, Gents, any info on what the bigger picture is for the ownership group? Is there a plan for a multi-club model? And where would this help uh, develop younger players? Uh, It all seems quiet on the longer-term goals and how to get there, other than we aim to compete. George, I'll go to you with this.
1: Well that's a good question Jonathan. Um I mean I think the you say other we aim to compete well they aim to you know they aim to get to Europe they aim to win things. I mean that's the that's the dream. They aim they aim to be a club that's up there with the likes of Man City and Liverpool regularly winning things. But How do you get to that position and how do you maintain that position? You grow all areas of the club. So that's a long-term goal at the moment because they have effectively, if not quite starting from scratch, they're starting from a position where the club's been stripped back. They've filled those positions. The idea is that the academy is churning out its own players, players who will hopefully get into the first team at Newcastle, but if not, bring in revenue uh, and... Yeah, I mean that is the long term and you know, I guess also for the club to be good, committed citizens um in their own city and also, you know, further afield. There are lots of big, big things coming. We're gonna be writing about some of this in the in the in in the weeks ahead. That is the idea. In terms of the multi-club model, I would expect that to happen. Yeah. I mean, I I haven't heard anything specific on that at the moment, but a lot of clubs are doing that it sort of makes sense if you if you take Man City as the obvious parallel then that's something they've done with I mean I'm you know they've taken over those other clubs and bought those other clubs I'm not sure how much that benefits Man City for example having that relationship with the other clubs I don't know but it would seem like a natural a natural thing to do But yeah, quiet on the longer term goals. I think we'll see more of that because we're coming up to the anniversary of the takeover. You know, I think one of the surprising things has been how little there's been on strategy since the likes of Dan Ashworth and Darren Eels arrived. I would have liked them to have done more. That doesn't mean they've not been visible. They've not been approachable because they have. Chris and I both know that. So it's not a criticism of them. I would just like to see them sort of chat a bit more. We understand how slow and how ponderous it can be for strategic things to be signed off by by the ownership and I think that might have something to do with that. But yeah, it would be good to good to hear those people speak soon.
2: That first sort of half season that we had after the takeover from the October through to the end of the season, there wasn't an awful lot that could be done in that time apart from improving the playing squad. But the Dan Ashworth appointment, the Darren Neal's appointment, they are definitely nods towards that long term plan, aren't they?
0: They are, and I mean in terms of the with the sort of multi-club model. It may well be the direction that Newcastle go in. There obviously, there has been speculation on that since. But, th- I mean, they need to get Newcastle right. They need to get the structures here in place. And as you say, they, the people weren't even here before that. And there's no point in building up another club if you don't actually know what the image of your own club is. You basically want to to create, to to, to, to bring that across the board and have them. And when George says, well, what would the benefit of Newcastle be? I mean, the theory, at least, speaking to people who know far more about this than me, is that what it can do is it can help with things like FFP. Because in theory... You can pool resources, so you can have scouting across the board, which can be spread from everyone. You can have that sort of relationship. Right, you yeah. can have fact-sharing, information-sharing uh, across the board. And yeah, you could, not theory, maybe send some younger players there who could build up and then be ready for your side. So you might sign them at a younger age, be able to develop them in the way you want to play if you have a consistent uh, playing style across all the teams and then if they become good enough you bring them into your own squad if they don't you maybe sell them somewhere else and and, and, and get money that way so that that is that is the theory behind it as, as George said there hasn't been anything official on that front that isn't something we've heard is imminent but as I say I think getting it right at Newcastle first that's what Man City did Man City made sure that a structure really in place before they went too deep into that
2: market and, and really expanded out. This isn't on the running order or anything, but it's just a thought that's entered my head. When Amanda Staveley and, and and PIF came in and looked at Newcastle, I'm, I'm presuming they were aware of just how stripped back the club was and how much was needed in order to bring it up to standard, basically, because the, the club was almost a skeleton for years, wasn't it, under Ashley? There wasn't an awful lot there behind the facade of the club
1: no there was nothing i mean you know certainly in terms of marketing commercial all those departments i mean everyone if you speak to people at the club you know they'll they'll tell you that they were you know they've always been very good people there you know you shouldn't forget that to be to be a premier league to be in the premier league as a club as a team you have to be pretty good i mean you do have to be pretty good as much as it's been painful for us to watch the team you know, a lot of the time, you know, to, to be to work at that level, you have to be good. It's just that Newcastle has been absolutely stripped back to the minimum possible. Um, did they did they know that? I mean, yes, they knew it. They'd seen the accounts, they'd seen the figures, but did they know they the extent? I think is what I no, was getting. They getting weren't that. allowed. They weren't permitted to talk to right. okay. to employees of the clubs. They you know they weren't they they didn't visit the site, so they weren't able to go in. They weren't able to do any of that until they actually got the keys to the to the door. And then since then it's been a you know it's been a painstaking process. They wanted to get to know the people at the club. They wanted to give them a chance to grow with the club. They've done their own audit on terms of the people. It's all taken a you know, it's taken a very, very long time. We can see that from, you know, from from Dan Ashworth to Darren Eels, those big figures, they're still at the point, you know, those people are still at the point. Of evaluating their own departments and evaluating what they need to move forward. So all of these things are taking a long time. If at the end of it you end up with the right people and you avoid the mistakes that some other clubs have done um, post getting a lot of money, um, then it'll work out better quicker. It's just that it in the middle of it it feels it feels slow. But it's been a it's been a very deliberate approach to buying the club and taking it over, but arguably you would I think you would say that they've they've got pretty much the big decisions all all right.
2: Great stuff. Well, we are coming up to the first anniversary of the takeover and we'll be marking that occasion next week. And there's plenty of great writing coming up on The Athletic as well. So if you want to learn all about Newcastle from George and Chris, but also from the likes of Ollie Kay and Matt Slater as well, and let's be honest, why wouldn't you? Uh, You should absolutely take advantage of our podcast listener offer. Uh, Go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle Pod for access to endless amounts of great writing and ad-free versions of the Athletics Podcast at a special starting price of just £1 a month for your first six months. Chaps, what a bargain. What a bargain. What an absolute bargain. Do you know what it is? If that's not value, I don't want to know what is value. That's ridiculous. How many Absolutely. Batman
1: suits can you buy for that? Not many, Chris. Oh. Although he got his off the back of a skip. So,
2: um. Was it a good quality Batman suit you were wearing, Chris, or was it one of these ones that you pick up from some sort of chatty uh, fancy dress shop somewhere?
0: Yeah, mine was... Similar to my sports journalism career, half arsed really, if I'm honest. Uh... <laughs> That's
2: harsh. harsh. See, <laughs> people say, people say sometimes we bully Chris on this show, but Chris, you're bullying yourself now in a, in a really weird turnaround.
1: Chris was incredibly aggressive last week, if you remember, and now he he's was, being yeah. he's turned that aggression on him on himself. I, I don't know. It's friendly fire. I don't know where to. I don't know whether to duck or. Join in, well, I don't
0: know. George, One of the things George was aggressive to me about last week, though, was uh, he wasn't very happy with when I didn't share my sandwich at the uh, when we went I to, to watch the winter. Yes, but there was one other question in the mailbag from Brian D, who wanted to find out whether I use stotties for my ham and peas pudding sandwiches. And the answer is, of course, yes. What other type of bread is there to have a ham and peas pudding sandwich in? So, yes, just to clarify.
1: No, I, I wasn't I wasn't having a go at your choice of bread. I was just having a, a, go, at me. Having a go at you for being... <laughs> for being incredibly stingy.
2: And since you mentioned the women's team, Chris, a fantastic result for them this weekend. They beat uh Lincoln 9-1 with hat-tricks from Georgia Gibson and Lauren Robson. What an absolute belter of a result that is. Uh some going there. That. I'll take some beating. Uh yeah, that's it. That's it, chaps. Thanks a lot, George, Chris. Thank you again. Uh the sight of Chris in a batman suit will not leave my mind. Uh, for a long time, some sort of PTSD. I think I'll be having over that one. Uh, George, thanks a lot for your time. Great fun.
1: No, if he's the crap crusader, what am I? If I'm his sidekick, what would I? What would I be as his signed <laughs> The boy blunder. The boy blunder. Yeah, fair enough.
0: Yeah, we'll take. I'm well. off to keep the people yeah, of Burton yeah. safe tonight. So. <laughs>
1: I'll get
2: drive through. <sighs> Right. what Come do you on. mean you've got no sausages left <laughs> oh my word right <laughs> God.
1: don't forget to shave your balls
2: <laughs> thanks very much for listening uh, this has been Pod on the Time. you've all been lovely I'm sure you might not have been but I'm pretty sure you have we'll see you next week take care bye bye
0: I'll have
1: to keep the middle bird safe. We bet it all out here. The toilet door is the toilet door. The Joker man. The athletic.